0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reader.
1: Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter four, verse one. This is the word of God that is read in your hearing. It is infallible, inerrant, and, and sovereign, and sufficient for all of the matters of life in Christ. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the work, from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those, this Psalm of David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The grass withers, the flower fades. the word of our God abides forever. By His grace and His mercy. May His word be preached for you. Please be seated. starting in the seventh grade, three times every year was a moment that seemed to be um, less than challenging but necessary if I wanted to play baseball, basketball, and football. And that meant three times every year I had to get what was called a physical. It lasted about, oh, uh, 55 seconds. And uh, I'm sure he made a couple of hundred dollars on that 55 seconds, but that's about all it lasts. And there was three things that would always be done. And one of them was at the end he would say, sit down on this bench, let your legs hang over, and then he would pull out a triangular rubber hammer. And uh, now was the moment of truth as to whether I was going to be able to play uh, baseball, basketball, or football that year. And that was he would hit my knee with that I thought the first time I saw it in the seventh grade, it was a relic from, you know, a, a tribal collection somewhere. It looked like a tommy hawk to me. And uh, and so he was going to hit me with it. And then the moment of truth, would my foot fly up in the air after he hit my, the, uh, after he hit my knee? That's called a reflex action. And if that didn't happen, uh, not only would I not play ball, he'd probably be putting me in the hospital. But that was the moment. Reflex. And the Apostle Paul has a reflex. And I want you to see it. Don't miss it. It needs to be yours. It needs to be mine. And that's this. The Apostle Paul. Now remember what he has done. The Apostle Paul has presented us the two pristine majestic statements about the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation in Christ. It is the righteousness of God for salvation in Christ. He has just made those two statements. Having done that, he now gives us for three chapters the unfolding prosecution of all of humanity. All of humanity is indicted. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The indictment is you're under sin, Under wrath, you're helpless, you're hopeless, you cannot save yourself, you wouldn't even want to be saved, you are in rebellion against God, you are dead in your sins, under the wrath of God, under the power of sin, and under the practice of sin. That's where you are. Is there any hope? And then the wonderful word of Scripture, but God being rich in mercy, though we were dead in our sins, God being rich in mercy, caused us to be born again, the power of God, to a living hope, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And he has been unfolding in the book of Romans, which is kind of his magnus opus on the gospel of God as he constantly refers to it, this gospel of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a Father who authored your salvation, the Son who accomplishes your salvation, and the Holy Spirit who applies your salvation, praise be to God because he is not only our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. And having unfolded that, Paul knows something. Do you know what he knows? Here's what he knows. He is going to be misrepresented no matter how careful he is. And preachers, believe me, we have to be careful. We try to think through, wordsmith, do everything we can so that we drop both shoes. We're faithful to God's word. We're understandable. And then you can... Be assured that either something won't be understood, something will be misrepresented, something will be twisted, or someone will come with an accusation. That's going to happen. Now, what when that happens, not if, when that happens, what is Paul's reflex? When that hammer hits his theological knee, what is his reflex? Two things. Number one, He starts asking questions, not giving answers. That's the first thing he does. He starts asking questions. And he asks questions to surface what the person is saying, to surface what they're thinking, and he takes it on. You know, I went to Westminster Seminary, and I love the words of Robert Dick Wilson. As they established that seminary, because the previous seminary had succumbed to liberal Christianity and liberal theology, they said, we established this this seminary not to withdraw from the world, but to create pastors who can surface and confront and answer the questions from the world. And that's what Paul does. He surfaces them, he answers them, and he will then. And he will then answer them. Now, there's another thing he does, and I want to get to that in a minute. But his, so what he does after he finishes this glorious declaration of the gospel of God, that you're saved by the power of God and the righteousness of God, in Romans 3:27 through 31, he surfaces the four questions that they're asking him. I call it the four framing questions of the apostle Paul. He knows what he's being misrepresented he knows the accusation he knows the question he knows for instance he knows he's being accused of preaching another gospel that's found in the old testament he knows that they're saying he has um he has abandoned what everyone else is believing but what he and by the way can i give you something else do you know why he knows the questions to surface they were his In fact, I would be so bold as to say his questions got answered by Stephen. Do you know what I think is... Can I just give you all a thought that I've had this last week? If I was living in the Apostle Paul's life, and I I think the biggest problem I would have to wrestle with is days after I was a part of participating... In the death of Stephen, I've come to believe everything Stephen said. Yet I was a part of killing him. That just has to, had to have weighed on him. Of course, he knows he's forgiven in Christ and praise the Lord. But he knows the question. He had these questions. For instance, question number one in Romans uh, chapter three, verses 27 through 31. After he has explained the gospel of God, and remember the reformers mind out of Romans three, uh, 27 through 31, they mind out what we call the solas of the, of the Reformation. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone as they 're mining those solas out, and as, the, as paul has has brought them there, he knows what 's out there in their mind because there 's in his mind, because Paul used to boast i 'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law, found blameless. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Pharisee. In fact, it was probably his sect that went out and hunted Stephen down. He that that's what he he had this was his boast. I'm right with God because I have done this. And now, where's my boasting? Well, the short answer in Romans three is it's excluded. And then he starts to give a bigger answer in Romans 4, in chapters 1 through 3. There's no room for it. Here's why there's no room for it. You're saved by grace, not by works. The only thing your works bring is a reason for God to judge you, not a reason to pardon you. And so you're under his judgment. So there is no room for boasting. And then he goes to answer the second question. Well, then if you tell me I can't boast and I can only boast in the Lord, what law do you give for that purpose? Well, here's what he says. He says, listen, the law can't save you. It doesn't have the power to save you. It can show you you need a savior. It can show you you can't save yourself. And it can show you that Christ alone can save. But the law can't save you. And you can't save yourself by using the law. The law you have is the law of faith, and that means your salvation is a gift, so you have nothing to boast about by the law of faith. And then he comes to a third question. Now, there's a fourth question. Can you hold on to that one? I'll get to it next week. Because what he does in chapter 4, after giving the questions and the short answer in chapter 3, verses 27 through 31, he gives the questions and the answers in chapter 4. In verses 1 through 3, he answers in a bigger way, boasting. And, in cha- and then in, in uh, verses 3 through 8, a bigger way about the, what it means to be saved by faith alone. And now this morning in Romans 4, 9 through 12, he's going to answer in an enlarged, expounded way what it mean what does it mean can god save a gentile now before i get there let me just stop stop with me right here i mentioned to you his reflex had two parts he not only went to questions and he knew the questions because he he had the questions he knew what their questions were but something else had happened where does he go to answer the questions Where does his intuition bring us? Where does his intentionality go? You heard me read it. For the scriptures say. So now you not only have that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, boasting in the Lord alone, the glory of God alone. Now you've got the scripture alone. Is our only rule of faith and practice. Did you see what he says? For the scripture says. I I, I think it's interesting. He doesn't say the scripture said. Although that would be true. He says the scriptures say. The scriptures are alive. In the reading of him. In the preaching of him. God is not giving new revelation. God is illuminating us with that revelation. He is speaking to us. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. For the scriptures say the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible read, sung, memorized, meditated, preached is a pulsating. It's got a heartbeat to it. It's living. God is speaking to his people. One of my friends I got to know after I was converted, God used him as a, and part of the work of my conversion. I was a preacher from Texas named Kyle Thurman. And he used to do street preaching. When he'd go out the street, the hard thing is to get a crowd. But if you're crazy enough, you can get a crowd. So he would put his hat down on the, on the streets of Texas right there in, uh, outside of San Antonio. And he'd just start running around that hat. And he would start yelling out, it's alive. It's alive. Come here and look. It's alive. I'm telling you, it's alive. Well, that would get a crowd. And we got the crowd big enough, he'd reach over and pick up the hat, and there was his Bible. It's alive. Now, let me tell you what it says. It it is a living and active. So he says, the scriptures say. Now, here's what he does. He gave you the questions and the answers in chapter 3. Chapter 4, he repeats the questions. Boasting, 1 through 3. Law of faith. 4 through uh, 3 through 8 and now this issue of can a Gentile be saved and uh, and then can a Gentile be saved can God save Jew and Gentile he's going to answer that question verses 9 through 12 but he's going to answer it from where the scripture he expounds it and illustrates it where from the scripture that settles it has anybody ever said to you God said it I believe it that settles it you ever heard that Three of you? Great. Paul didn't believe that. Paul did not believe. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Paul believes. God said it. That settles it. I believe it. That's what Paul believed. The Scriptures say it's our only rule of faith and practice. So he goes back and he knows here are his people according to the flesh uh, who have Abraham. He knows what they're saying. Hey, that's not, that's, not Abraham. that's not faithful day. We have Abraham as our father. He said, listen, if you had Abraham as your father, then you'd be loving Jesus like Abraham did because the Bible says that Abraham loved and longed to see the day of Christ. Now, he didn't have all that we have in God's revelation. It was progressively unfolding, but he knew the promises of God could only be fulfilled by God. And that is fulfilled in the Son of God, in who all the promises of God are yes and amen. So he goes back and he says, Abraham didn't have anything to boast about. Abraham was saved by what? By grace through what? Faith. Abraham... It wasn't he didn't save by what he did. He wasn't saved by works. If he did, he'd have something to boast about. He was saved by grace. He didn't save by works and received his due. He was saved by faith and received something that someone else had merited and purchased for him and gave it to him. So he has nothing to boast about. And secondly, he was saved by faith. Genesis fifteen four. He wasn't saved by offering up Isaac on the on the on the mount. He wasn't saved by that. That was an evidence that he was saved, but that's not what saved him. That's, that's Genesis 22. He's saved in Genesis 15 verse 6. Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, here's this legal glorious work that God saves us through His righteousness by His power. But how do you get that? Because God is an accounting God. How do you get a legal declaration, justified and innocent, when the reality is we're guilty and condemned? Is God unjust? Is salvation a legal fiction? No, no. What I just read for you five times, it had a word count. Now, all you lawyers, you read that text and you love that justification. That's a legal term. Declared innocent. That's a legal term. And rightly so. And I know we got lawyers here. Praise God. That's a great evidence of God's grace. We've got them here. And I know we've got accountants here. And y'all all all take the back seat and sing in the minor key. Speak out. Because you can't understand the gospel without understanding accounting. God is a counting God and God is an accounting God. Five times the word count was there in what I read. God counts our sins and holds us accountable. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. The one who sins shall die. Then how can I be declared, not just forgiven, innocent? How can that possibly happen? Well, he not only takes Abraham as an illustration, he takes David. And David, who was confronted by a preacher named Nathan, who came to conviction and repented of his sins because he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was a liar, he was a cheat. This David, who was convicted of his sins and repented, wrote it out in Psalm 51, then wrote Psalm 32 And Paul quotes it right there for you. I just read it. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, God sent his son to the cross and he took your account. The one who did not deserve the wrath of God received the wrath of God so that we who deserve the wrath of God might receive the blessings of God. And that in Christ we are saved. So, where does that bring us? That brings us to the third question. Okay, if you're saved by the power of God and the righteous of God in Christ and you're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ who by his power saves you and by his righteousness forgives you, cleanses you, and covers you, well, what about Gentiles? Can they be saved? Well, Paul Paul goes right back to the Scripture. And right back to the same verse, Genesis 15, 6. And right back to the same illustration for the exposition and the illustration. He goes right back to it. And what does he say when he gets us right back there? Go with me to, Gen- to Romans chapter 4 and verse uh, 9. Is this blessing? Okay, stop. Okay, Harry, we're not, we're not going very fast. I know, but I can't just run through this. Is this blessing? Underline blessing. It's already been said three times. Abraham was blessed. David was blessed. David said, How blessed is the man. Now watch, how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. How blessed is the man whose transgressions are removed. How blessed is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed. Now, you probably grab that word and you say, I know that word. That word's in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, blessed. And what does it mean? And many of you will run to your current contemporary translations and they will translate the word blessed, happy. Okay, I'm I'm not coming off the top rope. But I am coming off the bottom rope. Happy belongs under blessing. But I wouldn't translate blessed with happy because it's much more than that. And it's not the happiness that most of us are thinking about. What's the opposite of blessing? Cursing. Blessing. Blessed. Cursing. Woe. The curse. The woe would fall. Wheel. Woe. What is blessing? I think the best way. Is to start with cursing. In just a few moments. We'll finish the sermon. And we'll sing. um, And before we sing. After I pray. We will give the benediction. Bene. That's. Latin for good. Dicte, that's Latin for word. I'll give you the good word. I'll put my hands like this and some of you will do what has happened for 2,000 years and that is to you, your hands like that. So externally we'll do something. I'll do my hands like this because this is coming from God to you. It's a good word from, it's not a prayer. It is a good word from God to you secured in Christ then you indicate the condition of your heart to receive it. It's a good word of blessing. What's the blessing? Not just be happy. There's something more that's there. And the best way to understand it is to go back. What blessing are we talking about? Here's the blessing. Go back to the previous verse. How blessed is the man to whom... The Lord. Now hang with me. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity? What man did the Lord impute iniquity? Jesus And In our sins. Accounting term, imputation. Our account was imputed to him. Cursed is he who hung upon the cross. And what happened when he hung upon the cross and our sins were upon him? And the wrath of God for all the sins of all of his people for all of eternity fell upon Jesus to drink the cup of wrath to the bottom. What happened next? The words of Jesus tell you. Eloi. Eloi. Sabat Diani, My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken? God cannot look upon sin. God cannot abide with sin. Jesus became our sin. God forsook him. And the wrath of God fell upon him. And all of our torment and isolation of our sins and their consequences from a holy God fell upon him in our place. Cursing. That we might gain the blessing. What is the blessing? It is the opposite of the cursing. He will never forsake you. What's the best blessing? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. What is one of the best blessings you find in the Bible? Numbers? Six? Aaronic blessing? Remember it? The Lord bless you and not abandon you. Keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. And not turn his face upon, away from you as he did his son. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you. And give you peace. That's blessing. The blessing that we gain that Abraham and David are pointing us to in Jesus, is an intimate, saving, eternal, personal, inseparable, unconquerable, relentless relationship with God who made you right with him and is at work right within you. This God is the one whose countenance is upon you, who will not abandon you, Who will be with you until the end. It's that blessing. Now here's the question. Paul's asking the question. Because he knows it's out there. Can the Gentiles have that blessing? Or is it just for the Jews only? And so he goes right back to Abraham. And if you will. Look at how he unfolds it. Look with me in Romans back in 4, at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? That would be another term for the Jew. The Jew was identified by the sign and seal of the covenant of circumcision. Is that covenant for the uh, circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted To Abraham. See, it wasn't Abraham's righteousness. It was an alien righteousness. God's righteousness that was given to him that he didn't earn by his works, but he received by faith. The faith was the instrument and God had given him and you and me the ability to believe. So it's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now stop right there. So what is he telling you? He's saying, let the scriptures answer your question. See, here's what you're asking. See, I know what you're asking. Can a Gentile be saved? In fact, I know. Let me, let me restate that question. Here's what you're really asking. Can a Gentile be saved as a Gentile? In fact, I know what you're really asking. <laughs> Can a Gentile be saved as a Gentile without becoming a Jew and therefore circumcised, receiving the sign? That's what you're really asking. And you say, and what he's saying is, yes. Is not your forefather according to the flesh Abraham? Well, when was Abraham saved? Now hang on. When was Abraham saved? Genesis 15. When was he circumcised? Genesis 17. Circumcision was the sign and seal. It wasn't salvation. Salvation was by faith. In Christ, circumcision was later, after. In fact, let me put it this way Can you be saved as a Gentile? Yes. Abraham was saved as a Gentile. Genesis 15: Abraham is a Gentile, and he's saved. And then he received the sign and seal of the Old Covenant, which is circumcision. Now, what, let's, stop, let's stop there just for a minute. Sign and seal are sacrament. In the Old Testament, there were three of them. One was given in the days of Abraham, circumcision. That's the initiatory sign for the believer in the household. The second sign was given in the days of Moses. It was the sign of the Sabbath. The third sign was given in the days of Moses. It was the Passover that renewed covenant with the Lord, covenant meal. Now, all of those were given as a sign. What do we mean by sign? Have you all ever remember the word significant sign? If, Anyway, sign saying something important. <laughs> Signs teach something, point to something, significant of something. Seal confirms something. If in the old days when we actually wrote letters, I mean really wrote letters, and you'd want to make sure the people knew that it came from you and you could trust it, having authenticity, then you would put wax on the envelope and your signet ring to seal it. That meant it came from you. So what are the sacraments? What are the signs and seals of the covenant? They are messages from God to point you to something and then for God to declare to you, I'm faithful. I'll do what I promised. The sign, hang with me, the sign identifies its significance. But the sign is not identical to the significance. The Bible teaches us that circumcision is pointing to two realities of God's blessing in the covenant. We are not saved by generation. The foreskin of the flesh was cut and it was cut off to say You can't be saved by generation. You must be saved by regeneration. That's why the prophet said, don't tell me you have been circumcised in the foreskin of your flesh. You need circumcision of the heart. And then circumcision was shedding of blood. It was a symbolic sacrifice. Somebody's got to take your place to pay for your sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so the lamb in the Passover was pointing to Christ and renewed relationship with him. Circumcision was pointing to Christ. The Sabbath pointed to Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Come unto me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden. I, not a day, I will give you rest. Now I hope you're seeing something. Circumcision, while saying the blessing of regeneration and justification that's provided in God and Christ's atoning work, is pointing to Christ. It's not pointing to itself. It's not pointing to your faith. You can be saved and be circumcised in heart. In other words, circumcise. God, see, what does Jesus do? He goes to the cross and he circumcises your heart and cuts it out. You're born again with a new heart. And by the power of God. Then he cuts away your sin record and he nails it to the cross and he cancels it. So you now have a new heart and you have a new record. You can be sa- You can be saved. Um, Without the external sign and seal of the covenant. But you can't be saved without the internal reality. Now you can have the external and the internal. And you can have the internal without the external. But if you've got the external without the internal you're not saved. That's why not all who are circumcised are Israel. The scriptures say. Now, why am I? let me let me just do one more illustration. Let's say you and I had a fit of ignorance, and one afternoon got in our car and rode on Highway 280, and we got all the way down to Silicaga, and we saw a sign that said Silicaga, and you said, "Pastor, we're in Silicaga." How do you know? The sign. The sign identifies what it's significant of. But if I got out of the car, dug the sign up, I think I've shared this with you before. But if I got out of the car, dug the sign up and put it in the car and we turned around and drove back, we don't bring Silicaga back with us. The sign, the sign is the sign giver is teaching you something. You need a new heart. You need a new record. And only Christ can give it to you from the cross. That's what he's teaching you. So, can I use one more illustration? Marriage is a what? It's a covenant. And I stand up here, and as I stand up here and do the covenant vows and the covenant promises, and I turn to the man and I say, "What sign did you do you bring to acknowledge the faithfulness of your promises and their sincerity?" And he says, "What? This isn't hard." Ring, this ring. And then the woman, to indicate she believes him, in a very weak moment, says, I believe you. And where's the ring? The ring does not make, you don't need a ring to get married. Nowhere in the Bible is a sign we use to tell each other something. And the purpose of the covenant sign is the covenant maker to tell the covenant receiver, I've made a promise and I promise you, I'll do it. But if that woman is fascinated and absorbed with the ring, this marriage will never last. The ring won't do it. And I can tell you right now, I've done these marriages. I've never yet seeing the bride look at the ring. She looks at the one who gave it. That's what circumcision is there for. Not to look at circumcision. It can't save. It's there to tell you the one who does save and how he saves in Christ. Now, that's why When Jesus comes, those three signs are done away with. Not because they're obsolete, but because they're fulfilled. Christ is our circumcision. Christ is our Passover. Even the Sabbath is moved to the first day of the week because Christ is our Sabbath rest and he worked on the on the on the day of atonement, he rested on the Sabbath and he came forth on the first day. Thus they established the Lord's Day. And so now circumcision is replaced by baptism. Circa, and the Lord and Passover is replaced by the Lord's Supper. Listen folks, don't look to your baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. and But bapti- I'm not saying the signs and seals aren't important. They're glorious. God ordained them. But they can't say... say listen, ba- circumcision or baptism cannot convert you and cannot confer anything to you. But they do confirm what God has promised to you in Jesus. So when you come to a baptism... And when you come to the Lord's Supper, what do you do? You don't come to the sign and the seal and the sacrament. You come through the sign and the seal to Jesus. He saves you. Christ alone. Not Christ plus circumcision. Not Christ plus baptism. Christ alone saves you. Can I put it this way? When we have a baptism... I'm afraid to do this, but I'm sorry. Most of y'all are real-life Presbyterians, so you're never going to do this anyway. You know what we ought to have? When we see believers and covenant seed coming and receiving the sign and seal, we ought to start cheering. God's promised, and he's faithful. The purpose of the sacrament is not for you to believe in it. The purpose of the sacrament is not to highlight your faith. The purpose of the sacrament is not to declare your faith to the world. The purpose of the sacrament is for God to declare his faithfulness to you. And you look to him. And that's time to cheer. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am cleansed. I am covered. I am changed and being changed. And he will bring me home because he will finish his work that he's begun that's what Paul's answer to them is. Let me just finish it and we'll close in prayer. Here's what he says just to finish it out. What's the purpose of this sacrament of this sacrament, this sign and seal? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the unc- of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And here's, here's just the last thought for you. Um, he said, guess who your daddy, guess who your spiritual daddy is? Abraham. Harry, I'm not a Jew. Doesn't matter. He's the, just said it two times. He's the father of all who believe. Well, I'm not circumcised. Oh, yes, you are. Here's what the Bible says. The true circum Philippians chapter 3. The true circumcision are those who worship God Glory in Christ alone and put no confidence in the flesh. That's us. Circumcised in heart, circumcised in record. You see, you can be saved without the external sign of circumcision or baptism, but you can't be saved without the internal You've got to have a circumcised heart. You've got to have a circumcised record in Christ who cut out your sin record and gave you his record. Who cut out your old heart and gave you a new heart. You're a new creation in Christ. And you can't be saved without the internal baptism that the external, the pouring and the sprinkling are pointing to what? They're pointing to those who are sprinkled with the blood. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them and they are sealed by the holy spirit you can have the external and not the internal you can have the internal and not the external but you can't be saved without the internal and you receive that by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and so and abraham's your father can i you know why i'm making a big deal of that is because so many people say well i kind of wish abraham was my father he is He is. He's the father of all who what? Whether Jew or Gentile. You know why that's important to me? Because if he is our spiritual father because of Christ who saved him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we too are not only in the same spiritual family on this earth headed to our heavenly father through his son who redeemed us, but we're all brothers and sisters. Harry, I'm old. Praise the Lord. Harry, I'm young. Praise the Lord. Young, old, rich, poor, up and inner, down and outer, male, female, black, white, brown, whatever. Folks, there's your, there is the antidote to the sinful divisions of this world. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. It's the hope of glory. And we're one family. Brothers and sisters. Sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And all look to the same earthly spiritual father. And away with all of this political, sociological manipulation and divisions that cannot deliver reconciliation and unity. And yes, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ministry and message of reconciliation with all of our wonderful God-given diversity of background, melanin, and uh, zeros in banks accounts or whatever, we are one in Christ. Same blood, same righteousness, same spirit, one in Christ, and we esteem one another more highly than ourselves. That's why this is so precious to me. It brings assurance. It brings joy. And it brings us together in Christ. For we're not saved by what we have and what this world identifies us with. We're saved by Christ. So here's your takeaway, and I'll close in prayer. The sacraments, signs, and seals of the covenant of grace do not and cannot convert or confirm. They confirm And they point us to Christ. When you come to the Lord's Supper, look to Jesus. When you come to see a baptism, look to Jesus. Who cannot abide or look upon sin, but will abide and be with you by grace alone, through faith alone in Him. That is Christ alone. You see, it's not circumcision or baptism or our works. No, it's by grace through faith in Christ. And Christ converts us by His power. Christ cleanses us by His blood. Christ covers us with His righteous. Christ changes us by the power of His Spirit. And we are His, and He is ours. One of my greatest challenges is to tell you two things Apart from Christ, you are under judgment and you have no hope. And I plead with you to come to Christ because the second thing I can tell you, if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. His face is upon you. His spirit is within you. He will never forsake you because his son has redeemed you. Father, thank you for the moments we could be in your word. Would you please speak into the hearts and the lives of your people as only you can. Father, speak to our hearts. And if you're here today and have not yet come to Christ, please do not go out of here under the curse of God. Leave here with the blessing of God. Leave here not simply with hands outstretched, but a heart that has been outstretched and say to Jesus, I surrender all. And if you've done that, then let's leave here with the joy of our salvation. The reality of how we're saved, converted, cleansed, covered, and being changed all the way home. And rejoice in the Lord. His word and the sacraments and worship are not our uh, object of our faith. Our faith is not the object of our faith. Christ alone. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Hallelujah. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.